I usually, I almost always have at least one scripture that I have you look up. That is intentional, by the way. I do that on purpose so that, well, first of all, there's no such thing hardly anymore as bringing your Bible. We all bring our smartphone, right? We all bring our iPad or our, our Galaxy Note or whatever we got, and we look up our scriptures there. But I like to have us look it up because I want you to see it with your own eyes. I want you to know I'm not preaching from a trick Bible. All right, my Bible is your Bible, right? And I want you to know that. I want you to see with your own eyes. But this morning, I'm going to do something a little different, and I want us to be able to follow along in the same translation today. So everything that we're going to do together, we're going to do on the screen or in your notes. You'll see the scriptures. Um, most of it's going to be on the screen because there was just so much of it that we're going to cover in Scripture today. But I want to continue a, a series this morning that we've been on for a while. I want to talk to you about the Word with a capital W. The Word for 2018. I've got a prophetic word for you. Anybody know what that word is? Jesus is the Word for 2018. You can't go wrong with that, right? But specifically, what we've been talking about is the I am statements of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. Present tense. How many know God is always present tense? I love that. We were singing about it. Today is the day of salvation. When is it today? Today. It's always today. Every time we say that, right? Today is the day of salvation. And every time you call God I am, which by the way is exactly what he says about himself in John 8, 58, it's in your notes on the screen. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, because this way we would know Jesus wasn't lying. You know that's not why he said truly, truly, right? He said truly, truly, because he wanted us to know what I'm about to say is really important. What I'm about to say, how many of you know there's things that are true? Did you know this? There are things that are true and some things that are truer. Did you know that? It may be true that you're sick, but it's truer that you're healed. Come on, somebody. So he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. So he locates himself outside of time, but he also, in calling himself I am, his name is always I am. Every time we call his name, he's always I am present tense. So everything we've studied, we've studied in the context of Jesus being present tense for us. You can write this in your notes. We've studied this already. Jesus is our bread. He's our sustainer. He's life-giving to us. We've learned in your notes that Jesus is our light or our fire by night, right? He's our internal GPS. He gives us direction. He also shines brightly on what Father is doing so that we can see clearly what God is up to. And today we're going to study this, and probably next week as well. Next week's part, hey, but the week after that. Jesus is our door. Jesus is our door. He says that, you'll see this in your notes, in John chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, so again he's saying this is really important, guys. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, specifically this morning, where we're going to follow along with Jesus' train of thought, we're going to follow it in this way. You can write this in your notes. Jesus is the open door for outsiders. I believe you'll see this this morning by looking at the context of where this statement is placed. You know, when, when uh, the Bible was written, it didn't have chapters and verses. You already know that, right? 
I know, I know that most of you know that. That when John wrote this, it was written as a letter. And so later on, when chapters and verses were added, they were just so we could find our place. In some ways, that's done us a great service because we can, I can say John 10.10, 10, and some of you will go, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I could say John 3.16, and you're going to say, For God so loved the world. I could say Hezekiah 2.14. No, Hezekiah is not a book in the Bible. Just kidding. <laughs> right? So in some ways, it served us well because we all can be on the same page. We can find where we're looking. But in some ways, it really hasn't served us well because a lot of times the chapter breaks don't happen in good places. And it's like we think that John was writing along and he was writing chapter 9 and he finally finished chapter 9. He's like, oh, i got to take a break, go out and get a vanilla Coke and, and uh, some Cheetos and I'll come back a little later, maybe tomorrow we'll write chapter 10. No, chapter 10 is a continuation of chapter 9. Actually, chapter 8, chapter 9, this whole section of John goes together. So the context is really important because it helps us understand why did Jesus say, I am the door? What was the purpose in him making that statement? We're going to find his purpose in the context of John chapter 9. So we're backing up in order to, to find out where we're at. We're going back to the future, all right? So we're going to do something I don't normally do. I don't normally have us read this large of a chunk of Scripture. We're going to cover a lot of verses this morning. I made the mistake in first service of telling them with little commentary from me. I found that wasn't possible. So that, I'm not making that promise because I had to actually repent during first service, all right? But I do want us to crawl inside of this. I want us to feel what the man in John chapter 9 is feeling. And I, and, and I could have just told the story, but I really felt like we, it doesn't hurt us sometimes to just take in big sections of Scripture, does it? Sometimes I like to just live on one verse, one, maybe a word in a verse, and I'll stay there for a long time. But sometimes it's good to get the context of the larger section of Scripture so we see why Jesus said what he said. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Now, we've been talking about John chapter 9 quite a bit because it's provided context. It provided context for the last thing Jesus said. When he said, I am the light of the world, he said it in the context of this story of this blind man. He said it when he was healing this blind man because he was shining the light on what Father was doing, right? So this is providing context for the last statement, but we're going to find it also provides context for his statement when he says, I am the door. Now, we've talked about verses 1 through 6. I want to pick up at the point where the blind man in John chapter 9 is healed. Now, I want, let's all remember, crawling back inside this story, this is a guy who has been blind since he was born. He's an adult. The only way he survives is by begging. He has no other choice. There's nothing else he can do in his culture, in, in the society he lives in. There's no other way that he can survive, that he can make it, except that he is a beggar hoping that someone will feel pity for him. That was the one emo emotional response that he actually hoped for from people. Because if they felt pity for him, then they would drop something in his little bucket that he was holding or whatever he was holding to collect his money. And he wore this beggar's garment, and everybody knew that's what he was. They knew that's who he was. They had walked past him day after day after day after day. They've always known him as a blind man. Not only a blind man, but a blind beggar. Now, everything is turning around this day for this guy. 
Just imagine this moment for him, right? Jesus has spit in the mud. He's made the clay. He's put it on the guy's eyes. And in verse, uh, we're going to start in John 9, verse 7. It says, he told him, Jesus told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, and Siloam means sent. So the man went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. Somebody say, yay. Say, yay, Jesus. Right? Yay, Jesus. He, he comes back seeing. Now, again, imagine, I, I cannot even, the first time in this guy's life, he has never seen anything before. When he washes away the mud, which, again, he had no idea whether this thing was even going to work or not. What, what an experiment to go through, right? Here's mud in your eye. Maybe that's where that expression comes from. I have no idea. But he's got mud in his eyes. He's washing them out. And as he washes the mud off of his eyes or out of his eyes, or maybe Jesus actually formed, some people believed, eyeballs and placed them in his, in his empty sockets. Whatever the case was, he's got mud in his eyes. And he washes, and as soon as he washes this explosion of light, he's never seen color before. He's never seen his hand. For the first time, he's beginning to look at his hand, and, and my gosh, I, I've, never, I've never seen, I've never noticed that before. I've never, I can't believe this is what a hand actually looks like. And then he sees the water in the pool, and then he sees for the first time in his whole life his reflection. Can you imagine as he sees himself in a way he's never seen himself before and he looks up and he starts seeing people around him and he sees trees and he, and he sees buildings and he sees all these, he's never seen any of this before. It's, it's an incredible moment for him. And although I cannot completely relate to him, I actually remember, I was born, for those of you that don't know, most of you do, I was born completely blind and I had several eye surgeries. I remember I'm guessing maybe a year to a year and a half old. This is the earliest memory of my life. I remember the day that when I was uh, coming out of surgery, and I can remember I would stretch my eyes because I was seeing something through the patches that the doctor had put on my eyes. And I would stretch my eyes. My mom would make jokes later like I was trying to look at the nurses, like, look at him already, checking out the nurses. I can remember I'm making jokes about that, but I would stretch the patches on my eyes because I was starting to, to see things I'd never seen anything before. And I remember, I remember this so vividly in my mind, even though it was blurry, right? Completely blurry, but for a guy that's never seen blurry is awesome, right? A year and a half, they take the first patch off my eye, and the first thing I see is the doctor's face right next to him, my mom's face, for the very first time in my life, I see my mom's face. And I say, it's etched in my mind to this day, my first image of my mother. And then I see the cat in the hat. That's the other one that's etched in my mind. I see the cat in the hat is on TV and it's right there, right? You remember the cat in the hat from Dr. Seuss, right? That's the very first thing I, I saw. Now, I can't imagine being this guy. Now, his, there's no blurry to this. This is... From nothing to 2020, right? From nothing to 2020. He's seeing everything for the first time. So the cool thing about this story is he gets so excited and pumped up and everybody around him starts rejoicing and they start celebrating and they start getting happy with him and they take him to the synagogue and he gets to have a testimony service and they bake a cake. For, that's not how it works, right? This is the craziest, one of the craziest stories in the Bible to me. This guy that they knew, 
that they knew they had passed him over and over, just has an incredible miracle in his life he's never seen, and now he sees. It's incredible. So let's watch what happens. Let's, let's see what happens as he comes back seeing verse 8. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other. I want you to notice that first. This is like a repeat of what just happened in the beginning of John chapter 9. People don't seem to want to talk to this guy. They seem to want to talk about this guy, right? Isn't this something? God's done an incredible miracle in his life. He's standing right there with them. Remember how the story begins in John 9. The disciples are saying, well, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? With absolutely no concern that he's listening in on the conversation, right? Now he's actually seeing, and the people that know him aren't even talking to him about what happened. They begin to talk about him. And so what are they saying? (laughs) Is this the man that who used to sit and beg, and some said, well, he was, and others said, no, he, he just looks like him. That, that can't be him. It can't really be that an actual miracle happened. Isn't this crazy what happens when you get face-to-face with a miracle? The response that a miracle stirs up, the response that Jesus stirs up by doing something good, right? So he just looks like him, but the beggar, he's standing there with him, and he keeps saying, yes, I am the same one. I'm the guy. You guys know me. You passed me every single day. By the way, I know every one of you by your voice. I know who said that. Even if I didn't see you, I would know. That is one thing I can testify to, by the way. If you ever think that you're telling something about me and I don't hear you, I guarantee you I do. Oh, it's one of the cool things about not being able to see well, right? I hear it and I know who said it. Oh, man. So this guy is hearing the people he's known all his life, right? And they're saying, nah, I don't know if he's the one. He's saying, look, guys, it's me. Would you look at, look at me? Look at me. I'm looking at you. You're looking at me. Come on. I'm talking to you. So they asked him, who healed you? What happened? Finally, they're talking to him, right? Who healed you? What happened? So he told them, the man they called Jesus, he made mud and he spread it over my eyes and he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Now it's at this point that you think the party would break out, right? You would think that his friends would start high-fiving him. I guess they probably didn't high-five in Israel at this time. Get him a falafel or something. I don't know. But some kind of celebration, right? This is a good thing. This guy can see. This is a miracle that's happened right here among us. We know this man. Well, then they said, well, where is he now? Where's Jesus? Where is this guy, they asked. I, I don't know. I mean, this is a crazy part of the story, too. Jesus heals the guy, sends him off to go wash his face off. So he has no clue where Jesus is. So he says, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. He replied, then, oh, then they took the man who had been born blind to the Pharisees. Everyone say, boo. (laughs) Now, it would be cool if they were taking him to the Pharisees because they were all leaping and dancing and shouting and celebrating and going down the road to go meet with the Pharisees so they could all celebrate that a miracle had happened in their town, but that's not what's happening here. Verse 14, why did they do it? Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Wow, right? 
it was the Sabbath day. So because it was the Sabbath day, these guys are getting ticked off. They're upset. What is going on here? Somebody's breaking the rules. The guy's healed. He's been born blind, blind his whole life. Now he sees. And the biggest concern of this bunch is somebody's breaking the rules. If this is really God, now, mind you, Jesus actually said in the beginning of this chapter on the Sabbath day, my father is always working. He says that to his disciples on the Sabbath day. He's also the one who said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He's also the one who said, you've got it mixed up, guys, because the Sabbath was actually created as a benefit for you. The Sabbath was to serve you, not you to serve the Sabbath. It was meant to benefit you and give you a point of rest. You're missing out on something. Some Sabbath miracles are taking place here, and all you're concerned about is somebody broke the rules. Who healed this man and broke the rules? And so they bring him to the Pharisees, verse 15, and the Pharisees ask the man all about it. So I want you to picture this. Here's the Pharisees. Let's picture them right here in front of us, okay? They're a bunch of guys that have not smiled in 25 years. They've been baptized, but it was in vinegar, all right? And they still got the face to show it, right? We believe in God. And he's actually brought before them as a court. They're going to cross-examine him now. He's not brought before them to celebrate, not to just, you know, give God praise and glory. He's been brought to them to be put on trial. Something bad has happened in this community in the healing of a blind man, and we're going to get to the bottom of it. Can you believe this? This is what's going on, right? So they start asking him all about it, and he told them. Here he goes again. He put the mud over my eyes. He's told this story already, right, several times. He put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. I love this. His story never changes, does it? It's not like it grows evangelistically, right? It's, like, it's not like the story. It's the same story. He put mud in my eyes. He said, wash my eyes. I wash my eyes. And by the way, guys, the best part of the story, I can see. I mean, can you imagine that? He's standing there telling them, I can see now. He sees their frowning faces, right? So some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, because we all know that Pharisees have a British accent. Maybe not. For he is working on the Sabbath. But others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? Look at this. So there was deep division of opinion. Opinion is an opinion, quite a word. It reminds me of Facebook. There's deep division. Of opinion. God is not the author of confusion. No, he's not, but when we get a hold of what he's doing, that's where the confusion comes in, huh? He, all Jesus did simply heal the man. He healed the man. He changed his life. This should be the greatest day of this man's life. These guys, there's division. They're fighting over a miracle. Wow. Verse 17. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? And the man replied, I, I 
think he must be a prophet. He has never been in a situation like this before. I can't imagine what he feels like being paraded in front of these guys, put in front of them on trial, and they're asking him questions he's never been prepped for, never been prepared for. All he wants to do is go outside and look at the trees. I mean, can you imagine the first day he sees and he has to look at these turkeys? That's his first thing he has to look at for this long period of time is these guys. He's like, I want to get outside. I want to see the pool. I want to see the water. I want to see the trees. I want to see my mom and dad for the first time. I want to see all the sights that I've been missing. But instead, he's looking at these guys, and they said, what's your opinion of him? He said, well, he must be a prophet, I, I guess. Verse 18, the Jewish leaders still, look at this, refused, refused to believe that he'd been born blind and could now see. They didn't even believe he'd been born blind. They refused with the evidence right in front of them. They absolutely said, no, I'm turning a blind eye, so to speak. I'm turning a blind eye to the miracle of healing the blind right in front of me. So they called in his parents. Now, I don't know if the guy had seen his parents yet or not. I have no idea. I don't know if this is the first time he'd seen them. I don't know that the the text doesn't say. But this is the first time they enter the story. Can you imagine? He hasn't even had a chance to talk to his parents yet. Let's say that that's what happened. He's not even talked to them yet. They're brought in. Now, if my mama, I can tell you right now, because my mama's been praying for my healing since since she found out I was blind when I was a baby. If my mama heard that I had been healed, she'd be screaming at the top of her lungs, and any Pharisee that got in her way would wish they hadn't have. I can promise you that. But I want you to look what happens to his parents. And there's a reason, all right? They're brought in, verse verse 19. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see? So his parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. They don't really even back him in this moment, and I want you to see why. We don't get how big of a deal this is. Verse 22, and this is the context for, for what we're studying. Can you guys give me the 1215? What are you going to say? I know. It's like, well, every time a preacher says that, what are you going to say? No. You can leave if you need to, all right? But I want to wrap this up well. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Fear. The terror in that moment. Why were they afraid of them? Because they had announced that anyone saying that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That is, right there, that is the cornerstone of why Jesus says, I'm the door. We're going to find out more about that as we go along. This is why he says it. Because these guys are so afraid, the parents are so afraid. Why would they be so afraid? of being expelled from the synagogue. I mean, we, we, you know, let's just say that you were a part of a church and that church booted you out. And maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe some of you have been in a church where an excommunication has happened before, where someone was publicly, and maybe you've heard of stories like that, publicly the church was told have no more contact with them. So what? There's another church down the road, right? Kick me out if you want to. I'll go somewhere else where I can find people to worship with. Not the case with the synagogue. That isn't how it works here, man. You get kicked out of the synagogue, you are cut off from your family. 
You are cut off from your neighbors. You are cut off from every feast that Israel celebrates, every party, everything of life you've ever known. You're a social outcast. Everyone in the community is told to avoid you because everyone in the community goes to synagogue. These guys rule the town. And when they tell you you are out, you are out. You can't just run to another town. The news is going to get ahead of you. You are out. You've been expelled. You've been excommunicated. You have no contact, no social interaction. Your life is over. So his parents are afraid. This ends it all for them. If, if they admit that Jesus is the Messiah or they make any connection with him at all, they must have known something happened with Jesus because they were afraid at this point. They do not back their son. So here's, this is why they said he's old enough, ask him. Verse 24, so for the second time they called in the man who had been blind and they told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Can you imagine saying that about Jesus? Can you imagine that? I mean, we're not in their shoes. These guys think they're actually doing God a favor by denouncing Jesus. That's what they believe, right? Jesus, this man, is a sinner, so you give glory to God. I love, I love, love, love this guy. I don't know whether he's a sinner. The man replied, here's what I know. I was blind and now I can see. All right, this is what I know. I'm going to keep laying on the line what I know, okay? You asked me what I thought a while ago, maybe he's a prophet. I don't know if he's a prophet or not, but I'll tell you what I know. I was blind, point number one. Point number two, I can see. It's a big deal, right? He stays on message. But what did he do, they want to know. They asked, how did he heal you? Look, the man explained, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Oh, man, can you imagine? What has he got to lose? He was a beggar before. What's he got to lose, right? Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, man. Oh, man, I love this guy. Look what happens. Then they cursed him. The word is reviled him, insulted him. That's what somebody does when they don't have an argument. You with me? Personal insult, right? Make you feel small compared to me. You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. Moses, you got to say it right. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Here he goes again. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. Now, this part right here, he's about to preach back to them what they've been preaching. This message was common in synagogue at the time, very common. He's about to say, guess what? We've all been listening from the pews. I'm going to preach back to you what you've been preaching to me. Verse 31, we know, we know because you've taught us, rabbis, Pharisees, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. He uses their own sermon against them. Brilliant. A brilliant beggar right here in this moment. If he weren't from God, he couldn't have done it. How do they deal with that? They either have to deny that he was ever blind, that a miracle happened, or they're seriously backed in a corner and they've got to renounce their own teaching. 
because this is what they've been teaching, all right? So he uses their own teaching against them. What do they do? Verse 34, you were born a total sinner. That's what they say to him. You were born a total sinner. Are you trying to teach us? Do you realize who we are? Do you realize what we could do to you? Do you realize how small you are? Do you realize how close we are to God and how far away you are? You dare lecture us and teach us anything about God? And they threw him out of the synagogue. That doesn't mean they said, we're sick of talking to you, leave. They excommunicated him. Boom, it happens right here. The excommunication happens. Now, we have a hard time relating to this story because we haven't necessarily experienced something like this. Maybe you don't know what it's like. Some of you do. Some of us do. What it's like to be singled out by religion. But I want to show you a disturbing, and I will tell you that it's a little bit disturbing video of what it feels like in this world we live in today to be singled out by religion. I won't make you watch much of it, but will you check this out with me for a couple minutes? Son, don't go to sleep while I'm talking. Hey, 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 don't, don't, don't you lay your head back. I, I'm, I'm important. I'm somebody. Now, you might do your English teacher that way. But I'm not teaching English. I'm teaching eternal life here. I love you. You know I love you. Have I convinced you I love you? Uh, yeah. You better, th- you better nod your head yes. All right. Come on. Put it right there. All right. You stay awake and you listen to me. You say, well, he may never come back. Well, he ain't here now. And where have you been, Mr. Underwood? And I noticed on the calendar I'm supposed to marry y'all. What makes you think I'd marry you? You're one of the sorriest church members I have. You're not worth 15 cents. And you want me to marry you to her? And you want to marry him? And he don't even know where he belongs? And you don't even know where you belong? Now, uh, let me tell you all, everybody here, how much I love these kids. Do you know I love you, sir? Stand up, big boy. Do you know I love you? All right. All right, give me a little love. That's about enough of that. You can shut that off, right? There's a, good, there's a good another five minutes of that if you want to watch it. You can go on YouTube. It's right there. You can just look up Angry Preacher. And you can find some more of them on there too. How would that make you feel? How, how would you feel if you came here and I called you out by name and I started spilling your stuff out to people? I know a lot of people's stuff. I do. It's part of the job. But you know what I know? The stuff is not them. The stuff is not the real them. And the other thing I'm going to tell you is you're not going to know it because I'm not going to share it with you. <laughs> but I wanted us to feel a little bit of that. And, and if I let it go too long, you'll leave depressed. I want you to feel a little bit of what this guy felt that day when he's being sneered at by religion. Only it's worse than that. He's been expelled. He's been cut off. Now he's not going to have any relationship with his family. He's been cut off from his family, and I want you to see what happens. And we'll start wrapping this up. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man, and he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? I want you to notice, he found the man. When Jesus heard what happened, he found the man. He went after him, himself. When he heard they kicked him out, 
He said, so I see the Pharisees shut the door on you. Well, I'm the door. I get to decide who's in. I'm the door. I found you. And it's in this moment that he actually begins to ask the man, do you know who I am? He's Messiah. You can read the rest of this at home on your own. I just want to wrap this up because I know that there are some of you that know what it feels like to be kicked out. Maybe not. Some of you may have even been kicked out of a church. And I can tell you there's been very, 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 in 20 years, very few times that we've ever had to ask anyone not to come here. And in those times, it was because, number one, maybe there was a restraining order, so it was legal. I mean, the cops would come, right? So we'd have to ask someone. And in all those instances, it happened to be a, a guy. And we, we would talk to the guy and say, because of a restraining order and because this, you're a danger to your family, then we have to ask that you not come here. But you know what else we would say? But there's other places that we can connect you with because God's got a plan for your life. You may have totally made some huge mistakes here, but life isn't over for you. So we want to encourage them, even though they can't come here, there's somewhere that God can connect them, right? Very few times besides that have we ever asked, and it's always only been for the safety of people here. Only in in even a, a few times that we've had to say, Look, we want you to stay, but in order to stay, you've got to quit doing this because you're hurting people. So please stay, but please stop. And there's been a, maybe one or two times that in 20 years someone said, forget it, I'm out of here. And then even then, some of those people I have relationship with now because it's never over. As long as there's life, there's hope. As long as there's breath, there's hope. And I don't want anyone excluded because Jesus doesn't want anyone excluded. He came to include, not exclude, right? That's why he showed up on the planet. So in your notes, I want you to know this morning that Jesus is the open door for those who've been kicked out unjustly. Maybe I've been kicked out of a church. Maybe you've been kicked out of a marriage. Maybe you've been kicked out of a family. Maybe you've been kicked out of a relationship. Maybe you got kicked out of a group of people that you thought you'd always be close to. I want you to know something this morning. Jesus is the door. Not only the door to the relationship with him and his Father and the Holy Spirit, but he's the doorway to connect you with new family. People that he will put around you that will love you. Whoever those people are, he is good at connecting you. He sets the solitary in families. In fact, you notice Jesus is the open door for those who feel they don't fit in. You're here and you don't feel like, I fit in anywhere. Maybe you feel that, that's, that, that resonates deeply with you. You've always felt like a misfit. That's a word you would even use, even though God wouldn't use that word about you. It's a word you would use to describe yourself. But Jesus is the door. And as the door, he says, you fit here. You belong in this family. You belong in this family. And let me say that over you this morning. And I'm not just speaking about destiny. I'm talking about the the family of God. You belong in the family of God. You're not a misfit. God specifically designed you. And he formed you and he fashioned you to fit into his body. Maybe you've never felt like that you fit into the body of Christ before, but if you'll place your faith in Jesus, he will rightly connect you and align you relationally with people that'll be a blessing to your life and that you will be a blessing to their life as well. He is a, he is a door for those who don't feel like they fit in. Next, Jesus is, is the open door for the alienated. Those who are the wallflowers, those who people sometimes feel like, you, you feel like people push you away. It's an interesting thing, a spirit of rejection. Because anytime you have a spirit of rejection, it makes people want to reject you because you reject yourself. 
And Jesus is saying, I don't reject you. I don't care how many people push you away. I don't care how many people hold you back. I'm coming after you. There's no wall I won't kick down, no lie I won't tear down. I'm coming after you. I'm going to wrap my arms around you. I'm going to pull you into my heart. You just try getting out of that bear hug. Alienation is a lie. In fact, in your notes, Jesus is the open door to the loner and the lone ranger. There is just no such thing in the kingdom of God as a lone ranger. He was a great, great show, really cool, except when Johnny Depp did that movie. But it's really cool. The lone ranger is fun, not kingdom at all. There's no, no lone rangers in the kingdom. This is family. We are made for each other. That means there's going to be hard times. There's going to be tough times. I have a friend who's a pastor. He says to his church every week, the good news is we're family. The bad news is we're family. But we're family. And we're going to walk things out together. And we're going to process things together. And we're going to stay on this road together. He's the God of the loner and the lone ranger. You don't have to be an outsider anymore. Let's stand. Nobody has to remain an outsider. He's so good, isn't he? He's so good. He's the door this morning. He welcomes you. He wants you to know you're included. You're not alienated. You're not an outsider. So today, if you've never surrendered your life to him, he's the door. And the door is open. If you were to look at the sign on the door... Four letters, O-P-E-N. He's the God of the open door. He is the open door. If you've never surrendered your life to him, will you slip your hand up right now and say, that's me, I need to give my life to Jesus today. Anyone need to do that this morning? Yeah, amen. We're gonna pray a prayer so you get included in that prayer, all right? Let's all pray this morning. Let me grab you by the hand, sis. That works. That's good. Let's all say this. Jesus, thank you that you love me. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you that you include me. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm your child. There's never going to be a day that you don't love me. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning with my sister right here, then you can let one of our prayer team know. They're going to be up front. Come let them know I prayed that prayer. They'll pray with you, give you a Bible, give you a little booklet, tell you how to walk in your faith in Christ. For the rest of you, if you feel like you ever feel like a misfit, alienated, you don't fit in, let's be bold and vulnerable, lift our hands this morning and just say, as we raise our hands together as those who admit, I felt that way, I want us to say this morning, I'm included, I'm a child of the King, I'm not left out, I fit in this family, I belong, I belong to Jesus and to his family. In your mighty name. Come on, let's shout to him this morning.